I thought it might be a nice idea to uh, post an about prophecy, prophecy brief, uh, and, and more specifically, um, why I think it's a really good idea, uh, and even I would say important, to spend time studying eschatology or last things, prophecy as it relates to the last days. Uh, I know there's kind of a, what I would consider to be a false dichotomy uh, when it comes to this subject. Um, you know, I've heard it said, you know, it's well, why study prophecy and all this kind of thing. It's seems like a lot of time spent on something that, you know, we can't really know that much about and and uh, we shouldn't we instead be just focusing on sharing the gospel or maybe training up our people in church with more practical matters and that kind of thing. I've heard those kinds of things over the years. And uh, again, I think that's, you know, uh, with respect, I think that's kind of a false dichotomy. Uh, I, I think that, uh, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be an either or proposition, but rather any more than sharing the gospel or sharing practical things with your people in church uh, is somehow a dichotomy. I don't think it is. I think these are kind of both and. We teach all of these things. Um, and, and so that, you know, it, it, I'm just going to kind of list a few reasons why I think it's a really good idea to include a study of last things uh, in, into our daily biblical diet, you know, uh, both at home and our personal time in the Word studying. Um, and I would suggest even devotionally. I think there's some rich devotional value to considering uh, the coming of Christ and the various elements that surround that. Uh, but also, not only just in our own personal devotional time, but I think also um, in, in terms of our churches, I think from our pulpits and our home Bible studies and, uh, and those kinds of things. I think eschatology, again, the study of last things, things in the last days, uh, I think should be uh, as much a part of our daily uh, and weekly uh, fellowship times and personal study times as any other subject in Scripture. And that kind of leads to the first reason that I want to uh, suggest why I think it's so important. First off is because it's in Scripture. Uh, that sounds awfully simple, but the truth of the matter is, is that the study of last things is something that is, uh, it would be hard to, to say that it's a peripheral subject in Scripture. Uh, when we think about the last days, we're not just talking about the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. We're not just talking about a couple of passages in the Thessalonian letters, or maybe Matthew 24, uh, or an occasional reference in the Old Testament. Uh, eschatology involves a number of different subjects, uh, including things like Israelology. How does Israel fit in the last days? Does Israel fit in the last days? If you know me, then you know that obviously I think the answer to that is yes. Um, but when we consider what the scriptures have to say about eschatology, I mean, prophecy in general makes up almost a third of the Bible. Um, but in terms of last things, that also is a very, very large topic throughout the whole of Scripture. Uh, as a matter of fact, I mentioned Israelology. Um, there's a book uh, by uh, Arnold Fruchtenbaum, which I think should be on every prophecy nerd's uh, bookshelf. Uh, and it is uh, his book called Israelology. And he not only discusses his own perspective on it, but he even compares different eschatologies and where Israel fits into those eschatologies and, and ultimately uh, expresses his view why one particular um, uh, view of eschatology best fits with that subject in particular. And I think it's a valuable thing for believers in general and certainly students of prophecy to consider and to spend time in. Um, but, you know, when we talk about eschatology, we study it first and foremost because it's in the Word of God. You know, in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, uh, Paul says that all, he starts by saying all scripture 
is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Is profitable. One of the things it's profitable for is training in righteousness and instruction and all of these things. It's, the Word of God is something we go to to learn uh, all about our faith and practice, uh, what we understand and know and believe, and how we live it out. And so, one of the things that the scriptures teach us about, again, is the study of last things. And so, when the fact that God holds it uh, and mentions it, I should say, so often, the Holy Spirit has so much of this topic in scripture from cover to cover. Uh, literally, uh, from the entire scripture at some point or another, in every book, in black, I should say every single book, although you could argue that at least in typology, nearly every book in the Bible has something to do or has some reference or something that can be uh, seen as an illustration of something having to do with the last days. And so this is not a peripheral topic by any means. And so the first reason, again, is just simply because it's in the Word. We have no real business picking and choosing what we do and don't teach in the scripture. If all of it is profitable, and the encouragement is to teach the scripture, even as Paul, again, uh, would have said to the uh, Ephesian elders when he met with them, was that he had not shunned to declare to them the whole counsel of God. And so everything, which by the way, at the time he said that, uh, he hadn't necessarily finished all of his writing yet. Uh, and so, you know, certainly he would have included the Old Testament texts as, uh, as part of that. And so we study the scriptures and to skip this topic, is to skip a whole lot of the scripture. And of course, um, you know, the, the scripture ends with a grand description of eschatology, which, you know, is intended to provide believers with a great hope. It's hard to uh, really miss how John, at the end of his uh, writing of the Revelation, is exuberant. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And that leads to my second point. Um, that is that uh, eschatology is not intended to be a subject that provokes argument and division, but rather is intended to uh, provoke hope in the life of the believer. Um, in, in 1 Thessalonians chapters, uh, chapter 4, verse 13 through uh, chapter 5, verse 11, twice in that passage, Paul speaks of the understanding and, and putting uh, and seeking to understand these things as a source of encouragement for one another. We are to encourage one another with these words. What words? Uh, the ideas that Jesus will be coming for his church uh, and that we're not appointed to wrath and therefore we know that one of the reasons he's coming for his church is because we're not appointed to wrath and so therefore we can look with expectancy to Christ coming for us and this kind of thing. Not just in the second coming, but I would argue also in terms of the uh, harpazo, the snatching away, the rapture. I think this is something that is uh, fundamental to the Christian's hope. It's not just that we're looking forward to heaven, but we're looking forward to the bridegroom coming for his bride maybe today. And I think that's something for us to be very excited about. I think that's what the scriptures would have us be excited about. And so it is a source of great hope for the believer. It's not intended to be something we argue about but rather it's intended to be something that we provoke each other to hope and looking forward uh, to the idea of Jesus coming for us. And that kind of dovetails into another reason uh, that I think it's important for us to study eschatology, because if in fact a study of last things does drive us to live in hope and expectancy of Jesus coming for us, then that should provoke us to live for him uh, in the light of his coming. And so whether we're talking about the rapture or uh, or even specifically the second coming, the uh, share a story I've probably shared here before. I know I've shared it with the church a couple of times. 
when uh, my wife and I adopted our daughter from Russia some years ago, um, the, uh, uh, we, we had a lot of extra time. We could only see her in the orphanage for a certain number of hours uh, over two days. And so um, in between those times, we had a lot of time. And so we had hired a, uh, a, a guide who would show us around uh, Moscow and just, you know, take us around these various areas. And, uh, and so she did. And, and when she found out I was a pastor, um, she was a little surprised at how casually I was dressed and all this kind of thing. She thought of me as kind of a progressive pastor, which nowadays is not a compliment, but in those days it just simply meant I didn't wear a collar with a white, you know, uh, black and white collar and that. It was kind of funny, really. But, um, but anyway, so when she found out I was a pastor, she made it a point to take us to a number of Russian Orthodox churches. And, uh, and from a purely aesthetic standpoint, they were beautiful and very, very ornate. Certainly very high church. Uh, I pastor what would be known uh, and seen clearly as low church. You know, where we don't dress up a lot. We don't have lots of ritual. We don't have all kinds of statues and, and things and stuff. But in the, these Russian Orthodox churches, you saw a lot of that kind of thing. And so she would show us around. Well, I noticed uh, a common thread throughout all of these churches, and that is that on the way out, on the exit doors, uh, as you walked out, there was a mural above the back doors, or the exit doors, that was seemed to be in every church we saw, and it was the Judgment Day scene in Revelation. That the idea of the angels, you know, uh, bringing the the lost to judgment and the being cast into hell, and and uh, this just dramatic, you know, view of uh, of the last day, you know, so to speak, for uh, you know for so many. And uh, and I asked her, you know, why is that, you know, scene on at, you know in every church on the way out? She said, oh, so pastors, you know, the priests want everybody to make sure that they're living for God on the way out. They don't forget how important that is. And, you know, it's a scare tactic, basically, you know. Of course, we, you know, should have higher motivations for walking with Jesus than that. But uh, but anyway, so, but eschatology uh, can have that impact, too, I suppose. And, and maybe sometimes that's appropriate for some that are, you know, really just kind of, that need to understand the seriousness of such things. But in any case, um, the idea of, of believers sharing their hope of Christ's coming. And I can tell you, this is a common thread in our fellowship here in Franklin. Uh, we are looking for Jesus to come for his bride. We are very excited at the prospect that he could come before I finish recording this today. That uh, uh, even though we live each day not knowing when he's coming, and so we plan for the future and we live our lives in that, we also live with the expectancy and understanding that he's coming soon and that we may very well see him um, you know any time literally any time I, I every single day I, I wonder maybe today and I, I promise you I'm not just saying that that's not just something I say because I talk about prophecy and that's what prophecy people say no I really truly do and I'm extremely excited extraordinarily excited about seeing him and uh, and I think that's healthy and that's good because it prods one another to be looking for this and to be living for Jesus and the knowledge that he's coming I know that oftentimes uh, there is the accusation upon those who would hold a pre-tribulational, pre-millennial view, mostly pre-tribulational view, that um, that if we think Jesus could come at any minute, then what's the point of investing yourself in any real work for the Lord or any long-term planning or anything like that uh, if you think he's coming maybe right now, you know? Well, I, I, I would argue that you could make that case with any eschatological perspective. Uh, I would argue that that perspective is even 
more likely to be the case when, you know, if you have a view that Jesus can't come until certain events take place or a certain number of seals have been broken or something like that. I think that really uh, the, indicate, the implication from Scripture is that we do, in fact, live our lives uh, with the constant expectation that he could be coming at any moment, and that should prod us to live holy. That should prod us to live again, with the desire to see him and to be about his business when he comes. You know, let us be found uh, so doing when the master comes and that kind of thing. And so uh, I, I do believe that the scriptures always frown upon the idea that we believe that the Lord is delaying his coming. And so, uh, so that being said, I think it prods us to holy living and encouraging one another and edifying one another in the knowledge of his return. And so I think that's another important reason. Um, uh, one other reason that we would study, uh, there's two more, this one and then one more, uh, is that I think that if we are students of eschatology, then we are more prone to recognize what's going on around us. Now, it is this is a touchy one for some, because it is possible to misinterpret lots of things or to ascribe eschatological uh, ideas to things that are not. One of the most uh, commonly uh, mistaken things nowadays was, excuse me, when the the vaccination came out and boy I'll tell you lots and lots of believers were doing everything they could to, to make that uh, in, make that uh, vaccination the mark of the beast well there's at least a half a dozen reasons why it can't possibly be the mark of the beast there's no beast and there's no uh, image that is in concert with taking the mark of the beast there's no temple that that image can stand in the abomination of desolation in the holy place uh, no peace covenant has been signed with Israel. You know, there's there's all these reasons why um, why it can't be the mark of the beast. But a lot of people really just believed it was and really went out on a limb on that. And unfortunately, I think it it, uh, it it caused a lot of egg to be on the face of a lot of prophecy people. And also, I think it it created a lot of stir and and hysteria that I think in a lot of ways probably turned off a lot of non-believers. When in fact, eschatology can be. And I guess this is another reason can be a great tool to share with unbelievers and help them understand that the things that we're seeing and the things that will unfold in the last days uh, are things that God has spoken about and has given us in advance uh, prophetic insight into how these things are going to go. And I think that's a tremendous boon to our knowledge and trust and uh, uh, and ability to, to speak of the scripture as being from outside, as Chuck Mr. used to say, outside of our time domain. It's really given to us from the Lord with insights that can only be known by someone who is outside of time. And so, um, but uh, but it, studying the eschatology helps us to be able to recognize what's going on around us and understand how the ball is moving forward in regard to these things. And if we ignore eschatology, then a lot of these things happen without our understanding about it. And it, it causes us to miss a great opportunity in connection with that, sharing this with the lost. Uh, one final reason I'll share um, is uh, sort of connected to the first reason that we opened with, the idea that it's in the Scripture. Well, uh, I would argue for those that say that eschatology is not something that needs to be so focused on in churches because this is really, uh, you know, there are more important things. We should be doing the gospel. We should be discipling. We should be doing those things. Again, I think that's a false dichotomy. And the re one of the reasons why I think that is because Paul apparently thought that. Uh, if you read First and Second Thessalonians or First Corinthians, uh, you see lots of reference, and well, more so in First Second Thessalonians, but also in First Corinthians. It's a larger letter, and so a smaller percentage is devoted to this. But in First Corinthians 15, 
a significant portion of scripture, though. The entire chapter has to do with the resurrection, and included in that is the implications in regard to eschatology, the idea of being snatched away and changed in a moment. Again, part of our great hope, our living hope. Well, in First and Second Thessalonians, on the uh, you know, as a, a greater example, in my opinion, we see that in Acts, Paul planted that church and really only spent about three weeks with them. And so you would think, if the common thinking is is the uh, thinking to be adopted, that Paul would have simply spent that three weeks hammering the gospel, hammering developing leadership, hammering uh, some of the things that he hammered in 1st 2nd Timothy about how we're to conduct ourselves in the house of God. Uh, he would have developed, spent all of his time talking about systematic theology to, on some level or something like that. Eschatology, that's for more mature believers. That's not really something to introduce young believers to, brand new believers to. But yet, strangely, about a, you know, a, well, I shouldn't say percentage-wise, I guess I've never really done the math, but a significant portion of First and Second Thessalonians, two letters written to these two churches in response to concerns they have, which tells us that he talked about these things when he planted the church before he was chased out of town. In three weeks, he established the church, developed some sense of some kind of level of leadership. He taught them well, and among his uh, the things that he felt was important to teach them about as a source of encouragement to them was eschatology. And so I think anytime we make the argument that eschatology is not really something we need to spend time in in church, uh, it's not really as important as other topics, I just have to disagree with respect. I just have to disagree with that. Paul taught extremely young believers sophisticated understanding of eschatology. He, matter of fact, a, a significant amount of what we know about Antichrist is found in Second Thessalonians. I mean, he had told them about the rapture and the second coming and the, the man of sin, the Antichrist. Uh, you know, it is, and this is years before the book of Revelation is written. And so uh, it is so meaningful to consider what Paul shared about these things and also to recognize that he shared these things with babies in Christ, infants in Christ, those to whom uh, you would expect he would have spent all of his time on the milk of the word, but boy, you cannot read 1st, 2nd Thessalonians without understanding that they were already in, in the meat, and, and that is uh, in, in part because of the topics that Paul chose, among which was eschatology. So I'm just going to end there with that, but let me just encourage you, if you are sort of on the periphery on this subject, and uh, you're really thinking this is something, you know, for much later, I need to grow in other areas. Let me suggest that you include this as part of your regular balanced biblical diet. It's hard to say that you have a regular balanced biblical diet if you're avoiding a topic that is spoken of so frequently throughout the scripture, the whole of scripture. So let me encourage you strongly to, as you study the word of God, to make sure that this is part of what you study because it will encourage you to live in expectancy. It will encourage you to uh, look forward with great desire to see the Lord, just like the, cent the first century believers did. They so desperately wanted to see Jesus. We tend to have less of that enthusiasm now because in the West we live very comfortably, and so therefore we're not really uh, living in the kind of experience that our first century brothers and sisters did. But it's important for us uh, to recognize that we are uh, we are the recipients and beneficiaries of the Word of God, just like they were, and also the understanding of how this integrates into our faith, and we would do well to emulate their desire to see Jesus come. 
And so uh, my, my hope again is that you'll spend time studying eschatology so that, uh, so that you too will cultivate that deep desire to see Jesus come. And Father, I do pray that that would uh, indeed be the case, that Father, this would not be uh, considered a topic for the erudite, that this would not be seen as a subject that is not terribly important for all believers, but rather would be seen as a blessed privilege and, and rich, deep encouragement for all believers. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for your love for us and, and, and the generosity with which you have uh, spoken to these things. I mean, it may be that we don't understand every single thing, but uh, we do thank you that, Father, we can understand a great deal of last things from what you've given us, and we can piece together so much of this, and we just pray that we would apply ourselves to doing so, just like we would any other subject in the revealed word that you have given us. Indeed, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. So I just pray, Lord, that you would help us to see it as such and pour into it. Father, we love you and thank you and praise you for all this. We ask you to bless in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have any questions or concerns or topics that you would like to see covered in that kind of thing, again, we do cover a lot of different things on our podcast, including prophecy, verse-by-verse studies, various other topics, and those kinds of things that maybe I don't always take an entire Sunday to talk about. Uh, this gives us an opportunity to, to discuss some of those sorts of things. So let me uh, encourage you to go ahead and reach out by uh, in the comment section below, or maybe you want to email me at info at calvarychapelfranklin.com. But in any case, I do appreciate you watching and listening and joining in. And uh, we just uh, look forward to catching up with you next time. Until then, may the Lord bless and keep you and make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace forever. Amen.